0: Welcome to Plantopia. I'm your host, David Godori and I'm a plant pathologist at Cornell University. Any listeners who have never met a real live plant pathologist can be forgiven. We are a very low visibility, but very high impact profession. We protect the world's food supply from disease-causing fungi, bacteria, viruses, and nematodes, all of which want to eat your lunch. This time on Plantopia.
1: If we didn't have soil microbes, we would all be standing meters deep in the debris of dead plants, animals, humans from centuries before us. What microbes do, which is easy to overlook, is absolutely fundamental to being able to continue to have humans and plants um, survive on Earth.
0: In this episode, we'll learn about antibiotic manufacture and use by the most innovative producers in the world. They are masters of using antibiotics effectively. It's their remarkable work that could help us save countless human lives. I'm not talking about big pharma. I'm talking about big soil microbes.
2: Okay, so biological control uh, refers to the use of one organism to control another organism.
0: We'll also be learning about how we can get on the right side of a fight involving microorganisms that protect our food from bad actors that compete with us for virtually everything we try to grow. That's the story of biological control.
1: I'm Linda Kinkle and I'm with the University of Minnesota. Hi, my name is Soledad Benitez.
2: I currently work at the Ohio State University Department of Plant Pathology.
0: The average person might be surprised to learn that their backyard is full of antibiotics. We think of them as medicines, and yet there they are, in the dirt.
1: Yes, soil is filled with antibiotic-producing microbes, and antibiotic-producing microbes From soil, remain the largest source of clinical antibiotics that come from microbes. That is, that soil habitat is really a hot spot for antibiotic-producing bacteria, and, and there's an extraordinary diversity of antibiotic chemicals that are produced by microbes in the soil. The soil is filled with microbes that are critical to producing food, to helping you have a lovely lawn to producing antibiotics that you will take when you get an infection, to cycling nutrients and actually sequestering carbon and fighting climate change. But we walk on these microbes. We've lived with them for for eons, and we understand so little about them. And antibiotics are a really important lens, I think, through which the general public could be inspired to think more Respectfully, of soil microbes, because these soil microbes are producing these these chemicals and are performing these functions that fundamentally help make people, plants, and the global ecosystem healthy. But we've ignored so much of the the science behind that because we haven't had the techniques and the tools. But basically, the soil microbiomes, Are critical for life on this planet as we know it.
0: So uh, are antibiotics in the soil uh, just um, uh, evidence of a a kind of constant warfare among uh, microorganisms? Can't they just get along?
1: Well this is actually an interesting question because most of us are taught that antibiotics are weapons in soil, that antibiotics are, are testament to the competitive interactions, the the fight for food and for space in in the super super high-density soil habitats. And while there is clear evidence that antibiotics do serve as weapons, that is, antibiotics do play a role in inhibiting competitors, antibiotics actually perform multiple functions in soil. Beyond their role as weapons, antibiotics are also now Perceived to be very important communication compounds. That is, at a really, really low concentration, too small to kill another microbe, an antibiotic produced by one microorganism might actually substantially change the behavior of another organism. So, that change might actually benefit the antibiotic producer. So, it still might be perceived as a weapon in some sense, but it doesn't kill the target, it just changes what another organism does. So, antibiotics are believed to be weapons, but also complex mechanisms by which microbes and soil talk to one another.
0: Are they signaling among uh, organisms of the same species, uh, communicating in that regard?
1: Yes, there's definitely communication among organisms of the same species, but recent research has shown that bacteria communicate with fungi using uh, using antibiotics and other chemistries and in a similar way fungi can communicate with bacteria. So these interactions not only occur within species but across species and, and, and different genera of, of microbes in soil and even across kingdoms that is between bacterial and fungal kingdoms. So their capacity for antibiotics and signaling to occur among different communities in soil is extraordinarily complex. Instead of just
2: thinking, looking at a plant as one single isolated organism, we really have to be thinking of a plant as a community of interactions that are happening in the environment. So there's going to be a lot of things happening above ground, there's going to be insects that are chewing on the plant, as well as things happening below ground where there's going to be different uh, microbes that could be pathogenic, but it also could be beneficial and uh, as well, uh, other pests. And uh, there's a lot of communication going between all these uh, groups of organisms. So, you know, for example, when you, know, you have a plant and then an insect chews on the plant, the plant sends the chewing and produces chemical signals that travel uh, within the plant. And some of these signals even uh, are extruded or leave the root and communicate with the organisms in the soil. So uh, bacteria, fungi, and other organisms in the soil will respond to some of those signals and either will recognize the presence of the plant. So it's a, it's a very complex environment and uh, you know the concept of phytobiome is really trying to think of it as a systems level and not try to study it as a single unit organism at a time.
1: Of signals serving as weapons in their own way, um, or antibiotic signals serving as weapons in their own way, is important to think about because what we find is in naturally occurring co evolved populations, that is, populations of Streptomyces that were together in a half a centimeter by one centimeter segment of soil in a non disturbed native prairie, we find that there are populations that influence antibiotic production in other populations in ways that that lead to very complex co-associations. So if I'm a clever bacterium, can I make you produce antibiotics to which I'm resistant and is the outcome that I'm exploiting you? Or similarly, if you can kill me, but I can suppress your capacity to produce antibiotics, you know, who's the smart one now? And so we look at these complicated networks of killing interactions, but we realize those are all constructed upon an even more complicated matrix of, of interspecies signaling, much of which is itself signals based on sub-inhibitory concentrations of antibiotics. So a big challenge for us is to try to think about, gosh, if we look at these different layers of interactions, isolates could kill one another. Isolates can use antibiotics at sub-inhibitory concentrations to influence behavior of one another. How do you put those together to understand the full functional capacity, the functional potential of a soil microbiome? And it's important to note that antibiotics are expensive to produce, right? So if you can get away with not producing antibiotics, that's a win. And this is where beginning to think about subinhibitory concentrations of antibiotics are signals where you can make somebody else do the dirty work. That's brilliant.
0: <laughs> it is. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting. The, so, when we talk about communication between mm-hmm. uh, distantly related organisms, fungi uh-huh. and bacteria, um, when we're talking about signaling, we're not necessarily talking about the, what we would think of as communication or, or language. Uh, but these organisms are producing chemicals that function to flip the switches on different biochemical pathways in distantly related organisms and essentially exploit them.
1: Exactly. Or partner with them. We have combinations of bacteria that together, they both produce antibiotics that neither one would alone. And are they as a team much more powerful against the world than individually? So we have exploitative, we have Uh, presumptively mutualistic or mutually beneficial associations. We have some associations that appear to have no clear benefit that we can detect, yet clearly these two behave differently when they're together than when they're apart. So as we've learned and we keep learning again and again, microbes are not individual cells. They're part of a complex consortium and it's really pulling apart these roles of these diverse chemicals, including, you know, among the most important of them being antibiotics, it's sort of pulling apart these different threads that are going to be critical for us to really understand how soil microbiomes function.
0: Plantopia is brought to you by the American Phytopathological Society, or APS, to honor the United Nations celebration of 2020 as the International Year of Plant Health. Healthy plants can help us solve world hunger, stabilize the world's climate, protect our forests, and add beauty to our lives. Now, back to the show. Most people would recognize what you do as biological control, but it it seems to be more than that to me. But let's just start with a consideration of biological control. What is biological control as compared to other means of suppressing plant diseases?
2: Okay, so biological control uh, refers to the use of one organism to control another organism. So, you know, biological control can be applied to uh, pests and weeds and you know insects. Uh, but in the context of plant diseases in particular, biological control refers using one organism to uh, control a plant pathogen. Biological control, I guess, you know, in the more uh, almost regulatory sense, really is focusing on this particular organism killing or inhibiting another one, in a more broader sense, biological control would involve uh, this um, inhibition of plant pathogens, but also um, a stimulation of plant growth through different mechanisms.
1: Well, I came into plant pathology because I wanted, I mean, like most idealistic 22-year-olds, you think you want to make the world a better place and... and Agriculture is a wonderful target for that. And I became interested in biological control way back when. And when I started at the University of Minnesota, one of our senior faculty came to me because he knew I was interested in biological control. And he said, you know, we've got something interesting here. It's a breeding plot. It's about a little over an acre of land at a breeding station that in 1942, they started planting breeding lines for potatoes in that field and every year they grew potatoes and only potatoes and after about 25 years and and they grew potatoes in that field because they got good disease so they could look at their breeding lines and decide which breeding lines had resistance to these diseases but after about 20 to 25 years they started having a really hard time getting any disease on their potatoes, even on potato varieties they knew should get a lot of infection, that they were highly susceptible to disease. And finally, they had to abandon that field. They couldn't get any reproducible infection. And so this faculty member, Neil Anderson, came to me and he said, you know, the soil is suppressive to disease, and I want to understand why. And so we looked together at the soil microbiome, and then later we went into much more detail, and we found out that this appeared to be a beautiful story about antibiotic-producing bacteria in those soil, in that soil, that suppressive soil, and their enrichment, and their coevolutionary dynamics, and it, it raised so many questions for us. And in my lab, we, we basically said, we need to take on this challenge, what factors enrich Antibiotic producing bacteria in soil? What factors suppress them? To what extent do we have the potential to manage these populations actively in agricultural soils so growers don't need pesticides? Can antibiotics in the naturally occurring indigenous soil microbiome provide us a pathway for pesticide reduction? And that's really what opened the door for us to begin to really drill down on what are the ecological and evolutionary factors that mediate antibiotic production in indigenous communities.
0: So I can think back to my student days and some of the earliest success stories of biological control actually did involve microbial communities. I'm thinking in particular of using virgin soil to control phytophthora in papaya where there wasn't a a simple organism in the soil that was implicated, but that the soil that had never grown the crop before could suppress a pathogen so that you could place a small amount of soil that had never grown papaya before in a planting hole in a papaya plantation that had become infested with Phytophthora. You could plant a papaya tree in that hole, and it would survive.
2: Yeah, so that is known as, uh, you know, so those soils that you're describing are generally known as uh, disease-suppressive soils, and uh, there's different mechanisms through uh, soils can result in suppressing uh, soil-borne diseases or, you know, in plants. And one of them is just based on the diversity of those microorganisms in the soil that pretty much competing against the pathogen, not necessarily specifically killing the pathogen, but because there's so many other microbes out there. They're taking out space and nutrients out of that a plant pathogen. But there are other types of and other examples, I will say, in the literature about disease-suppressive soils that have very specific uh, modes of action and that are dependent on the presence of a particular microbial group which is uh, a lot of what has been studied in the Pacific Northwest and other regions in in wheat, where uh, you know, contrary to uh, our general you know uh, knowledge, uh, wheat monoculture over time in that region has resulted in decrease in one soil borne disease they call decline, and that is. It clearly correlated with the presence of antibiotic-producing pseudomonads, And, you know, this work has been happening for, you know, 30 years maybe. And, you know, from that we have learned a lot about uh, antibiotic-producing pseudomonads, their biology and their potential use in specific biological control applications. So these concepts of disease-suppressive soils are very interesting because, you know, it could be a source for, on one way, understanding the ecology of how these microorganisms impact plant disease, but also could be a, the place where we go do the bioprospecting for finding a novel bacteria to develop commercial products.
0: Looking through some of the research that you've published, one thing that uh, struck me as almost counterintuitive was that antibiotics are uh, local in nature, in that they are sometimes most effective against organisms uh, from the neighborhood and less effective from more distant organisms. It, that seems uh, counter to the human experience where antibiotics are used as medicines, where the more they're used, uh, the more resistance actually occurs. How does that work?
1: Ah, uh, That's a really great question, and it it gets down to the nuances of, of Co evolutionary interactions in soil. If you look at this phenomenon that Streptomyces bacteria are better at killing things that they live with than other isolates that are far away that they may never have seen before, what this suggests is that the ability to kill an organism has a selective advantage. That is, there'll be a selective enrichment for things that can kill their resource competitors. But this is part of an ongoing Arms race dynamic where the organisms that are best at killing their competitors survive, but at the same time, that's imposing strong selection within that community for those targets to become resistant to that antibiotic. And what we track is, in effect, an arms race where there's a continual selection for novel antibiotics that are better at killing competitors, and then selection for resistance in those competitors, which forces the original antibiotic producers to evolve new antibiotic chemistries and, and you begin to see why there's this extraordinarily complex matrix of chemistries in the soil because the way these co-evolutionary interactions occur. And so, if you think about an individual microbe in soil, it might have the genetic capacity to produce not just one or two, but perhaps a dozen or more different antibiotics. And these antibiotics get shuffled around in those communities in ways that optimize the ability for that individual population to survive with this all these extraordinary competitors.
0: How does the decline of take-all under the conditions of a monoculture, the continuous production of wheat, how does that compare to something like replant disease in an apple orchard where... Mature apple trees can grow successfully in the soil, and, and yet, when you try to establish a new tree, the soil is really unfavorable for establishment. It seems to allow mature growth, but it doesn't allow any young trees to become established.
2: I think it's probably, a, it could be just a different set of pathogens that could be in the soil. So, replant disease is probably affecting something directly in, in the roots. and. Um, You know, the moment of establishment of the ceiling is critical, but I guess that as a plant grows, there are changes in its um, um, composition as well, right? So, you know, they could have more lignin in the roots so that it allows them to uh, respond differently to to plant pathogens, but also they just, you know, changing their uh, host resistance ability to other pathogens. Uh, I'm not very familiar with, with every plant disease system.
0: Nor am I. It's just something that I thought back on in preparing for this interview, that in my entire time working in apple orchards, I've never seen an apple seedling growing under an apple tree. And yet they produce copious amounts of seed. If you remove apples from the orchard, the seeds will germinate and grow normally. And I wonder if that's a means by which mature trees suppress competition.
2: Actually, that's a... That's one, it's a, a great question. Um, there is this hypothesis in ecology, and this is you know, plant community ecology. Um, this is this hypothesis, the jensen Connell hypothesis, that initially was uh, developed to explain a hyperdiversity of, of trees in tropical systems. And uh, this diversity of trees in tropical systems is hypothesized to be related to the presence of natural enemies closer to adult trees resulting in exactly what you were describing, a lack of the ability of the sibling to establish close to the the adult tree. Therefore, you will have a different uh, species of trees within a small region. More recent research has shown that it also occurs in temperate forests, uh, but it's pretty much that. That. You know, there's the composition of natural enemies closer to the adult tree is limiting the establishment of the seedling in that area. So, the hypothesis is that there's, you know, over time an accumulation of those natural enemies, including plant pathogens, in the region closer to the mature tree.
0: So, if selection for uh, efficacy is stronger than selection for resistance in the soil. Is there something going on in the soil uh, that we can use to our advantage in a hospital setting? Ah, uh,
1: I, I wouldn't say that selection for inhibition is stronger than selection for resistance. It's an interesting, it's an interesting question. Uh, here's what we think of this. We think of this as if we're competing for a plate of cookies. If I can kill you, I get all the cookies. If I can't kill you, I get some cookies. So it's good to be a killer, but think of it from the target. If I can resist your antibiotic, I live. If I can't resist the antibiotic, in fact, I'm dead. Game over. So from that perspective, we tend to think that resistance might have a stronger selective consequence, right? Being able to, re- to to resist antibiotics means that you stay in the community. If you can't resist, you are opted out. Whereas being able to kill just means you get more cookies. So we think that that fitness differential um, does enhance the maintenance of resistance over long periods of time within communities. And we think that that explains to some extent this phenomenon that You're better at killing things you live with than things you haven't seen before. You might say, well, why are things I haven't seen before resistant to antibiotics we produced? We think that isolates tend to retain lots more resistance than they need at any point in time. So that suggests resistance is super important, but that novel killing, that's what's under high or strong selection locally. So there's two sorts of ways of thinking about selection. One is how much resistance do I have to keep to just stay in the game and the other is what novel killing can i take on to wipe out my local competitors so it's a little bit of an imbalanced field but but overall we think that obviously both functions are really important for long-term success of a population or a species in the soil
0: it sounds like a cutthroat world but i <laughs> i don't think i want to get between you and a plate of cookies <laughs> yes
1: <Yeah>. good call
0: <laughs> Are there uh, parallels that exist between the microbial communities of the soil and the microbiome of the human body?
1: Oh, gosh, I think we could point to many parallels. First of all, the significance of soil microbiomes to plant fitness, just like we know human microbiomes are significant to human fitness, human health. I think that soil microbiomes and their significance to ecosystem health or ecosystem functioning—things like carbon sequestration, uh, nutrient cycling—I think those stories are ones that we're just be- beginning to tell with with the level of depth and detail that 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 is needed. One thing that soil microbiome people always like to say is that human human biologists have it easy because human gut microbiota are are very simple. Um, of course, human people counter that humans have immune systems, which make the world more complicated. But of course, plants have complex immune responses to soil microbiomes, not just to pathogens, but to soil microbiomes collectively that, again, we're just beginning to learn a lot more about. So I think there's beautiful parallels. I think the extent to which Microbiome scientists are continuing to build a collective language, and a collective toolbox will empower researchers in both human and uh, uh, plant research.
0: In addition to their production of antibiotics, uh, which we, we need for medicine, Microbes may perform an even more uh, important housekeeping function and in nutrient recycling and making uh, the limited supply of raw materials available for the continuation of life
1: absolutely yes, and i wouldn't I wouldn't even just stop with the nutrient cycling, but the carbon sequestration function. Which is not fully independent of nutrient cycling, but capturing and holding that carbon is becoming a major part of how we're beginning to look at agricultural lands. How can we enhance carbon sequestration to fight against global warming and CO2 increases in the atmosphere? So, soil microbes make life possible in multiple ways.
0: For more information about the International Year of Plant Health, visit us at plantopiapodcast.org. Thanks for listening. Our show is produced by John Bryce. Thanks also to Mark Gleason, Jim Bradine, Laura Isles, and Roshni Karati. I'm your host, David Godori, and you've been listening to Plantopia.